on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Madison III, I promise I'm going to stop doing that at some point. Okay, please. Yeah, thank you. Because I feel uncomfortable, but I have to support you by nature. So, am I Ida Osman? Hello. Hello. And then I add the caveat that I am, in fact, not black. I'm not trying to like edge my way into blackness via that introduction. I didn't like plant this idea in Iris Head. Hi, I'm Louis Fertel. Although you were probably in the Black Hearts with Joan Jett. That's definitely for sure certain. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I have yeah. the angry brows of a background heartbreaker or a, a former <laughs> member of the Runaways. <laughs> I'm not black this week. I'm lonely. That's what I am. You're not black this week? Uh-uh. I'm not black this week. I can pause because that's a lot of stress. I need to just focus on the solitude that I had to experience on Valentine's Day. That sounds like a Teddy Pendergrass album. I'm not black. I'm lonely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, too, spent a lot of time putting gel in my hair on Valentine's Day, so maybe I am Teddy Pendergrass. <laughs> How was everyone's Valentine's Day? Good. I have to say, I was in Palm Springs visiting uh, one COVID-safe friend, just for the record. Mm-hmm. And uh, Right, allegedly. Um, <laughs> and I had forgotten it was Valentine's Day until Instagram reminded me 700 times in a row. I didn't realize how many couples I knew and that, in fact, I am happy for them. So I find it exhausting being happy for other people Mm. and also thrilled for myself that no one is in my fucking house, quoth Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want a man up in my house. (laughs) One of the great quotes. It constantly comes back to mind for me. I use that quote as much as I use Kim Cattrall's I don't even want to be in a situation I don't like for even an hour. Yeah. (laughs) And it usually involves a man. Right. <laughs> right. We can we can do this in 40, please. Yeah. <laughs> I was having a conversation recently with somebody, I think our friend Chris, Ira, where he talked about that porn has brainwashed people into believing sex needs to be long, which I do think that is propaganda. Like, I, I mean, I have a day to get on with, you know? That's true. And mm. also, it doesn't help that every R&B song encourages it by saying we need to go multiple rounds. No, we don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And done. <laughs> it's a biological function. Sorry. Yeah. Every sex song is about, oh, we're going to go all night, like mm-hmm. till the dawn. And I'm like, I would actually like to go for 20 minutes so I can get back to um, whatever I'm watching on Bravo. Right. No, let's prioritize <laughs> things. I mean, I, 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 I enjoy romance. I enjoy the heat of the moment. But it is also a moment, so to speak. So, mm. I mean, you know. An instant. And then it's over. Then, then I've got like a meal plan. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> I had a lovely Valentine's Day. Girl, what did you, you get? Huh? Or more like, who did you get into? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, what? You- oh. Oh. <laughs> <This> woman. Wow. <laughs> you know, a lady never tells. That's true. <laughs> right. So you are uh-huh. not a lady. So <laughs> <laughs> carry on. What was that, Jane Austen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, have you ever like gone out with someone and then um, no. they respond to your <laughs> they respond to your Instagram story that day, and then you see 
that they have responded to your Instagram stories like three years ago. So they like oh. clearly have been like Katie Holmes lusting after Tom Cruise. Uh, uh, they've done the homework. So, as, as in you only noticed now they had been responding. I only noticed and now. There was a, and there was a trail. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you was a fan, boo-boo. You was a fan yeah. and now you're my – well, that's happened before. but um... Swim fan. My date was at Erica Christensen. Well, now I'm thinking about Jesse Bradford and how we could have done more with him. Great. <laughs> I didn't do anything for Valentine's Day except for pine over loves, like past loves. Mm. Just, you know, everything that I didn't receive in the past. I was going back and forth. Like, I was really happy for everybody and looking at their posts. But then also I was like, fuck you. I don't want to see your ugly boyfriend. Stop posting. <laughs> it was becoming very clear to me that all my black friends in Hollywood have white partners. And that was something I had to grapple with, too. Oh, wow. On this month. Mm. On this very month. I'll take any partner. No shade. Yeah, no shade. I just, <laughs> it was an observation that I made. Mm. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. My life partner is white. And who is that? My best friend. Oh, okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> That's fine. Speaking of a man in your house just roaming around, like <laughs> <laughs> the husband in gaslight, fiddling around in the attic. Uh, he probably does think I'm gaslighting him. <laughs> You're probably just, really good at it. I would never underestimate your talent in this arena. Thank you. I think that's just like a fun Saturday activity, gaslighting the people in your lives. <laughs> there should I be some want- suspense. I want their brains to slowly shrivel around me. I do want to say two things about Valentine's Day and social media. One, you mentioned, like, how many couples we know. I was surprised by that, too, particularly because there are a lot of gay men on the internet who specifically, like, have just hot photos of themselves. And then when Valentine's Day or, like, Christmas rolls around, that's when they allow their significant other to be in their Instagram so there's a lot of people who like catfish yeah. throughout the year to get you to like like their photos, DM mm-hmm. them, you know, think they're single. Uh, and then, wait, where did this man come from who lives in your right. house with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Been married to for 60 years. <laughs> How? Which I almost respect because I'm always suspicious of couples as a brand. Mm. Because then, well, I mean, 90% of the time they break up and that becomes intriguing and also unfortunately funny but the opposite not advertising at all also feels Mm. like trickery i I, i'm the dupe either way Mm. fair Uh, or like lesbians lesbians are the total opposite where every single photo is i'm like can you take a selfie does your girlfriend have to be there every (laughs) single time get that bitch out of your lap and be an individual fair because i did play myself for the first time because someone commented on my instagram with my caption that said get dick and stay single Someone said, Hilarious, I thought you way. had a boyfriend. <laughs> and I was like, maybe you should ignore my post from October and stay out of my business. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> um, that's what happens when you put a man on your Instagram page. People think that you're with that person until you die. <laughs> what am I supposed to do, a breakup post? Right. And also, ca- captions are just supposed to capture an essence, okay? They don't mean anything. Yeah, it's, the, it's a moment in the woods. Um, <laughs> second thing... Because of the uh, Valentine's Day algorithm, we are still seeing them fucking Valentine's Day photos. Like, it was cute mm. on Sunday. I don't need to see it today. Yeah. Bring back the time scrolling on, on Instagram. I just want it in linear order. <laughs> that is sort of like getting the Christmas post two days later, too, where it's like, now it's not just past its due. It's, it's, it's grim. Like, it's fucking disrespectful. Yeah, it right. <laughs> Yeah, it's like seeing updates from a friend who's dead. 
<laughs> Would you say it's like that? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like 13 reasons why up in this bitch. Okay. <laughs> February 14 reasons why. Yeah. yeah. 14 reasons why not. <laughs> anyway. Oh, wait, though. It is, it is still Black History Month. Should I throw down a few? Um, I decided, I was like, how can I actively participate in this without, you know, uh, looking like a dumbass, basically. Yeah, we want suggestions from Lewis. I've decided to go with black female artists that I just listen to time and again and think deserve more credit anyway, particularly women who you know are from 70s and 80s and 90s who you should just revisit anyway. Normally, this would be the time I bring up Jody Watley, but I talk about Jody Watley enough anyway, so just assume that she's at the head of the pack here. <laughs> but um, the first person I wanted to bring up is a uh, disco legend. Now, you all know Cheryl Lynn, right, who mm-hmm. sang Got to Be Real. Uh, which was the original name of Paris is Burning, since that song is really prominently featured in it. Did she sue? I don't believe so, nor do I believe she had the power. Um, (laughs) But she was like uh, 22 or something when she released that song, and she became famous because of a show called The Gong Show, where she advanced in this talent competition that was normally super silly and often incredibly lewd. Um, But she has some bangers that people do not play as much as got to be real, including Shake It Up Tonight, When You Get to That Bridge of That Song, Please DM me because it's very important. Star Love and Encore are all awesome songs. And I believe she still performs now. So look her up. Joan Armitrading, one of my favorite uh, singer-songwriters. If you didn't know her, you she's a, a British singer-songwriter. You might mistake her for Tracy Chapman at first. She has that kind of voice. Mm-hmm. But um, Love and Affection, uh, Show Some Emotion. These are songs you can listen to again and again and again. It's the tenderness of the vocal. And also, like, real rock music too mm. does she like slow or fast cars <laughs> these are these are medium tempo cars this is okay, a woman okay, okay. she's in a she's in a sonata okay uh who else do i love i love oh michelle and gay ocello i don't know if you know the name it's a very distinct name uh i first became acquainted with her she's a bassist and a vocalist who i first knew because she was on a bedtime stories track of madonna's called uh i'd rather be your lover mm-hmm. and she was a, a maverick record signee this woman is just an incredible performer period she had a really weird album of covers a couple of years ago called ventriloquism uh recommend that but you really got to get into uh, a song she did called pocketbook which had a remix with missy elliott this is when i was babysitting in high school so this would have been around 2002 or so i just find her awesome and witty and cutting so her and also a disco act that I just think deserves more attention in general because they took the best promotional photos ever. A Taste of Honey, who you probably know best from their song Boogie Oogie Oogie. Mm-hmm. But they have a couple other bangers, too. So uh, look them up and also look up their honeycomb themed promotional photos because they're a taste of honey. So there's like a bee theme going on there. I'm loving this. Two black female bases. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are all good suggestions. We need a Lewis playlist, really, is what we need. Well, thank you. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Will Lewis actually make it? Probably not. He made me no. make the playlist for his birthday two years ago. It's what you love. I believe I was enabling what you do best. Oh, also, uh, uh, obscure uh, disco song that's right. Connie Case, Get Down. It's a very gritty, lo-fi banger that uh, few people know about uh, uh, look up that song too that sounds like a black exploitation film <laughs> Connie Case, Connie get, Case down. get down <laughs> uh, alright I'm excited to get into our show today we have no guests this week oh wow we are freewheeling which means we are unhinged uh, yeah. yeah you know how we like get it together to be nice every once in a while this time we get it together to be worse 
But we're going to get into a lot of things this week. We're going to get into Gina Carano's cancellation. Ugh. We're going to get into an Indianapolis museum's cancellation. <laughs> we're going to get into Justin Timberlake's cancellation, Joss Wheaton's cancellation, Chris Harrison's cancellation. Everybody's canceled this week. So clearly this podcast is going to have a positive outlook. Yeah. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have such a fun time today. At least nobody died. For the first time. <laughs> White men turn off the show now. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, people that are, the people that are like, you guys are too negative. Not the episode for you, unfortunately. <laughs> <Yeah>. Unfortunately. <laughs> It'll be Sorry. pure cynicism. <laughs> this week, we're going to be the real racist. I'm ready and prepared, and it's my time to show. Oh, the real racist. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be right back. Not so long ago, in a galaxy we call home, an anti-Semitic, transphobic MMA fighter turned Mandalorian star was fired for being a bitch on Twitter. <laughs> Least impressive multi-hyphenate I've ever heard, by the way. Congrats to her. Yes, I am, of course, talking Gina Carano, the star of Steven Soderbergh's Haywire, a film which I mm-hmm. fell asleep for 70% of, woke up during the fight at the end, and went... I guess that was okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I felt about Million Dollar Baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm the one person who saw the name Gina Carano on Twitter and did not recognize her as a Mandalorian star. Can you believe it? It's not really my brand. Mm. But did recognize her because I said, oh, isn't that the woman who played Crush on the 2008 revival of American <laughs> Gladiators? And I was right. Really pulled it from the back of my brain. I think about that, that reboot all the time brand. for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Layla Ali, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, by the way, do not even watch The Mandalorian. I'm gay, but not in that particular way. <laughs> Glad to hear it. We, we accept you as you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in a since-deleted Instagram post, Gina wrote, Jews were beaten in the streets, Ugh. not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors. Oh, Ken Burns herself is here with the, with the <laughs> historical insight. Okay. <laughs> Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? Girl, what? Oh, let's count the motherfucking ways, Gina. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, it did sound like she was talking backwards eventually. Was there a riddle in there I missed? (laughs) Mm, are you saying the Nazis created a situation that was so toxic <laughs> and turned people against one another so they wouldn't be murdered? I don't know where this girl was going with this, but this isn't the first time that she's been wild online. She had like shitty tweets before, and Disney left her on The Mandalorian, uh, I guess because they had already filmed season two, but now yeah. the heat was too hot. My favorite part is Disney and them saying, we've been looking for a reason to fire this woman for two months. This is just a nail in the coffin. This gives me the same feeling. Like, I really try sometimes. You know, when I adventure over to the Joe Rogan, you know, hellscape of the world mm-hmm. to, like, understand. This is when I watch Tucker Carlson just to see what these people are talking about. And the lapses in logic are so deep and so just in your face. I can't even begin to begin to begin to even explain how this is such a stupid statement. Like, I just, the discomfort, it rattles up and down my spine. And the desperately wanting approval for something. Mm-hmm. It's like for having, like, 
a hair of a shade of a a glimpse of a thought. She's like trying to rally people behind her. It's like you clearly don't know what you're talking about and you want other people who don't know what they're talking about to rally behind you. It's just, I understand that's a part of why we have the internet, but in this particular (laughs) instance, it's so pathetic. Just, uh, and of course, hateful and horrible. Yeah, I mean, her other social media posts included writing beat bop boop in her Twitter bio um, to say that those were her preferred pronouns as if she was that song from the Jetsons (laughs) (laughs) Rosie Rosie was first of all on the queer spectrum so she would not have tolerated that (laughs) and then she later walked it back saying that Mandalorian star Pedro Pascal helped her understand why people were putting their pronouns in their bios I did know before but I do now I won't be putting them in my bio but good for all of you who choose to I stand against bullying especially the most vulnerable and freedom to choose so, yeah. Pedro Pascal must have sent her a fiery text message. It'd be smelling like libertarian so much. <laughs> like, I was like, I hate that. I hate when we have overlaps with them. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I get you get the freedom thing. But she, <laughs> she, said, she said good luck to them. To they them. They can have part about this is that it seems like when you get in trouble at your job and you're under like a review or probationary period, right? And you could be fired at the drop of a hat. And I feel like from her previous mess online, Gina knew that Disney was like, they were waiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why not go full tilt now so that you can get fired, get canceled, and then get embraced by pieces of shit like Tucker Carlson and yeah. Ted Cruz because then you secured yourself stardom on the right. Yeah. Right. But, but by the way, guys, that's rarely bankable. Do you think Stacey Dash is like raking it in right now? It didn't work out for her. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she did manage to secure herself a film role uh, out of all of this. The Daily Wire is helping her make one of her dreams come true to develop and produce her own film. They can't cancel us if we don't let them. Um, ben Shapiro has said. Oh, it's, it's a Ben Shapiro joint. Uh, yes. This movie. <laughs> yes. Ben Shapiro does it again. As... <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? We have to, between Gina Carano and Gina Rodriguez, we got to make sure Gina Torres is okay because I, I, something about having this first name, it just makes you a cursed individual. <laughs> uh, I'm sure niggas also give Gina Carano heebie jeebies. <laughs> wow. That was like. <laughs> 10 years ago that that happened. Doesn't it? <laughs> so long ago. But then you have Gina Davis, who spells her name differently, arguably in a more progressive way, G-E-E-N-A, mm-hmm. you know, who has the Gina Davis uh, Media Studies Institute or whatever she has. So, Gina's, please alter your names to be something uh, a little stranger, and then you can be on the right side of history. Also, I'm not sure what Gershon is up to, but I've, right. so part of me feels like it's not good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. You have to keep your eye on her. In, in Showgirls, she she was the only one who knew what movie she was in. Now I don't know what timeline she's in. I need I've lost her. But this goes to show that the Daily Wire is like deciding to you know branch out into cinema. Um, they had recently acquired their first feature film, a school shooter movie called Run, Hide, Fight. Uh, and apparently the film drew more than 300,000 viewers during its three-hour live stream premiere. So congrats to them. The lesson children learn right after stop, drop, and roll. 
Yeah, congrats <laughs> to them. Is run, hide, fight. A bad episode of Keep It gets more listeners, but okay. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, need not, we need to not compete with that. Our, I, don't, I don't want someone to drop a graph. I only make entertainment out of spite, Lewis. Okay. <laughs> not for the people, it's against the people. I love making entertainment out of spite, Aida. Mm-mm. The best revenge is your paper and your iTunes charting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a reminder that all these people are fucking failed wannabe screenwriters, aspiring actors. Like they all want to be in Hollywood. And so they love to like be canceled quote-unquote canceled, so that they can get attention online, so they can draw attention to the shitty things they're doing, like these Daily Wire movies, right? You know, it's like if if someone would give Ben Shapiro a sitcom, uh-uh. I don't know, on uh, <laughs> like like on CBS, then he would be so happy, and he would stop spreading hate right. constantly. You, you know that's all these people want. On the Huckabee Comedy Network, yeah. <laughs> Deep down, all he really wants is to, like, juggle or be a tattoo artist. But this is where he's been relegated. And so he's just, you know, putting all his malice into everything. Yeah, I mean, you go For into sure. punditry when your um, television shows get canceled, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why we have Love It or Leave It. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we actually do. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I say that lovingly. Mm-hmm. I know. I actually did watch all of 1600 Pen. And I oh, love it telling. Mm-hmm. It was it was funny, and I love telling. Love it that every chance I get. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only bring that up because, of course, Love It and Shapiro got into a Twitter fight, apparently over the Gina Carano thing. And mm-hmm. Love It did remind Ben Shapiro that um, Soderbergh had to ADR all of Gina Carano's lines in Haywire. So good luck. Oh, oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> and then Ben Shapiro was like, "I'll take advice from someone who's." TV series wasn't canceled after one season. Oh, as opposed to television legend Ben Shapiro. (laughs) Alan Alda himself. He's actually taking advice from Norman Lear. Oh, God. (laughs) Don't don't besmirch our Norman like that. Anyway, good luck to Gina Carano. (laughs) And good good luck to all the conservatives who have to pretend that they care about this woman i know that's now, probably really difficult for them isn't that the worst part whenever someone does something horrible like this like that quote unquote offends the left um and you have to defend them as a conservative you have to like pretend to like this person for a bit right i feel like a major taxing thing for someone like gina carano is now you have to find don trump jr smart like the, like these kinds of crusades <laughs> online are only to get the attention i guess he's like the most prominent one who would be retweeting these sorts of things out and it's like he's also the most aggressively embarrassing public figure maybe of the past 20 years so enjoy that because it certainly won't backfire on you and he certainly won't be completely red-faced and red-eyed during every one of his endorsements for you right because you know what we do when someone on like our side gets canceled if i don't like that bitch i ain't got nothing to say (laughs) (laughs) right if we're gonna reboot American gladiators again. We have to get gladiators who really understand the fun of being a gladiator and don't just pose menacingly. That's what she did. And I could tell she was bad news even then. You could have asked me which gladiator's gonna suck 20 years from now, and I would have said crush. <laughs> that is Lewis's gift. He's that so <laughs> raven when it comes to American gladiator. <laughs> Speaking of other things that got canceled this week, the Indianapolis Museum of Art was up to no good. <laughs> Not really the art capital I think of, but okay, go ahead. 
Uh, they had to apologize for a quote-unquote insensitive job posting. They wrote that they were looking for a director of their museum who would not only work to attract a more diverse audience, but also to maintain its traditional core white audience. <laughs> what? What? Best traditional white album, my favorite Grammy category. <laughs> Truly saying the quiet part out loud. <laughs> <laughs> And then, when called out on it, the museum's director and chief executive, Charles L. Venable, said that the decision to use white was intentional, but explained that it had been intended to indicate that the museum would not abandon its existing audience as part of its efforts to get more diversity. I deeply regret the choice of language. Clearly has not worked out to mirror our overall intention of building our core art audience by welcoming more people in the door. We are trying to be transparent about the fact that anybody who is going to apply for this job really needs to be committed to the DEI efforts in all parts of the museum. So, so what's in this fucking museum? Okay. <laughs> is it like posters of Breakfast at Tiffany's and the Notebook or something? What is it? <laughs> Indianapolis Museum of Art. I have some questions. I, I love this because not only were they called out on this, they decided to apologize by doubling down. <laughs> Always the brilliant first move. <laughs> like, yeah. oh no, we meant that we want white people to still come to our museum. Um, which is so funny to me because one, it implies that the whole conversation around it implies that one, black people don't go see art. Mm-hmm. And two, it implies that there aren't swaths of like art that are inspired by and created by black people in the first place. Or also that white people aren't ravenously consuming black art and happy about it. Like They love it. They right. love it. That's their shit. <laughs> I, I um, was part of a exhibit of um, called 30 Americans um, back when I went to um, Omaha that time. Uh, and at the museum, um, I was one of the hosts of um, a film curation and uh, I went to the exhibit at the museum and it's like, you know, like 30 different black artists, right, for their 30 Americans exhibit. And a lot of black people are there, sure, but majority of people there are still white people. Mm-hmm. White people love going to see black art. So it is wild to assume that adding black art would turn people off. Was this at the Jocelyn? Yes, it was. Oh, you're making me miss home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the Jocelyn. Yeah, beautiful museum. Really, truly. And, yeah. you know... We do have a white wing. <laughs> we do have a white wing. That's a, the, it's the verbiage for me. It's the like, why don't you use Eurocentric or why don't you use European or Scandinavian or something to get away with saying white, white. In, the, in this year <laughs> month? Like, <laughs> white is the wrong word. Like our Indianapolis pioneers. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the kind of art Indianapolis has given us. I mean, Iowa had Grant Wood, American Gothic. Okay. You, got, you got your Thomas Hart Benton from Missouri. And then Indiana, I believe, gave us Jim Davis of Garfield. So if, <laughs> if there's anything beyond that, I'm unfamiliar. Lewis, that's canon. So watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Odie, Nermal, Arlene, yes. cats with vaginal lips. I yeah. mean, legendary discourse on the hatred of Mondays. Right. Mm-hmm. No, essential. Yeah. Lasagna. Yeah. Do you know why he picked lasagna, Jim Davis, for uh, Garfield? Because it was easy to draw. Originally, he thought pizzas were too time-consuming to draw perfect circles oh. and stuff. Um, oh, wow. So anyway, what a little cheat. Wow, okay. I did used to love Garfield growing up. I don't mean to completely slam Garfield. His animated specials, Garfield on the Town, look it up. <laughs> 
I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this nonsense museum, um, but I do want to point out that this weekend uh, I watched a documentary on HBO Max called Black Art in the Absence of Light. And it was basically about a history of, you know, sort of like a neglect of black art centered around the 1976 exhibition, Two Centuries of Black American Art, the first large scale survey of black artists um, organized by David C. Driscoll, who was then the head of the art department at Fisk University. It basically included like over 200 works from the mid 18th to mid 20th century uh, and caused like a lot of stir among museum types at the time because they were like who's going to come see like this like entirely black exhibit and then it ended up being one of the like largest exhibitions originated in america ever you know black people want to see it white people want to see it and the documentary sort of draws a line from all of these amazing artists um from like the people you know like the basquiat's the car walkers Mm. to all sorts of other artists you know so like it's a great documentary to watch um and it's just a reminder that like the Indianapolis Art Museum is bullshit. Bullshit, yeah. I too watched the documentary yesterday and it was so nice to see because you don't know when you're going in, you're like, you, the documentaries lately have mostly been about like media and Hollywood. And it was just nice to see like African-American portraiture mm-hmm. and the, what it takes to really capture black people and put them on canvas. And, you know, it was just, it was really beautiful and refreshing. And I, I also would recommend everybody watch it. Yeah, it's it's also just like you get to watch a lot of artists talking about their work, mm-hmm. um, and talking about their intention yes. in that work, um, in representing black images. Um, and there are different artists from each decade, yes. um, who are still with us talking about their intentions at that time, and the responses to those, and how they continue to work. One of the most interesting parts about it, too, was this artist, um, Theaster Gates, who basically described black art as um, if blackness is sort of like the absence of light as a color. It's like really about the work that you do when people aren't watching, you know? Mm, um, and so this history of black art has been ignored and neglected. And the reason it's so powerful is because artists are still working even though they know that it's not getting that mainstream recognition, you know, from Mm -hmm. like fucking museums like the one in Indianapolis, you know? Um, And it's about creating your own museums uh, and our own avenues um, for people to, you know, take a look at the work that we do and to foster the work ourselves, you know? Like a really great thing about it too was like um, it dipped into people like Swizz Beats and like um, Beyonce and Jay-Z like buying black art you know, like even if they're like spending thousands of dollars on like a uh, Basquiat, right? You know, they are placing value on art and black art, you know, in a way that people haven't done traditionally. I feel like if you're disenfranchised or um, a marginalized group of people, productivity counts as rebellion sure. and something everybody else gets to tap into too. So that's yeah. um, continuously rad. Yeah. I meant to ask. Ida and Ira, have you ever seen the movie Basquiat? I have not with Jeffrey Wright. I have. I Is have. it good? It's okay. Yeah, with David Bowie <laughs> as Andy Warhol, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think that we're much due for a new Basquiat film. Totally. Um, although that incorporates Madonna and uh, <laughs> how he made a painting for her and then he threw it out a window or something. She will yeah. not stop bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to put the idea of a Basquiat biopic into the world, though, because... Um, Knowing the universe, Dustin Lance Black will end up writing it. Oof. <laughs> Seems like a nice guy. The same way that he is writing the new Bayard Rustin biopic that um, George C. Wolfe is directing and the Obamas are producing. 
I'm like, y'all couldn't have found a nigga. <laughs> Just a, uh, Miss, Mr. Milk. <laughs> we know Gus Van Sant did most of that work. I have photos of Basquiat. I'm trying to figure out who deserves to play him in this next biopic. Mm. All I'm getting is Lakeith. All I'm getting is Lakeith, but mm, mm. he might be fresh off my mind. Lakeith or Cuddy? And he would have to be so young, too. Kid Cuddy. Yeah. Kid Cuddy. Mm-hmm. Go Scott. Okay. Yeah. Um, lastly, just shout out to um, Mary Schmidt Campbell, uh, who was heavily featured in the documentary. She's the former executive director of the Studio Museum in Harlem, um, but also was... I was like, I recognize this woman. And then after a few minutes, remembered that she was the dean at Tisch when I went there. Oh, wow. Oh. You were reacquainted with her this way. Congrats yeah. to you and, <laughs> and your um, love of mentioning Tisch, which Thank is you. a hallmark Thank you. of Keep it's, it. it's been a minute. True, true. <laughs> if I'm bringing up Tisch, Lewis is bringing up American Gladiators. True, right, yeah. right. That, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's my finishing school. <laughs> We've now talked about very important things. I'm very excited to bring up something utterly silly, which is, did you guys see Barb and Star? Uh, spent 1999 to watch these two women be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh. you know what? I did too. I did too. I, I spent $20 okay. and um, Royce and I watched it last night. And you know what? That shit was fucking hysterical. Nothing has given me joy like this in a long time. I'm I'm glad to hear it because I would understand going either way on this movie because it Mm -hmm. is so aggressively silly. You really have to be zoned into these characters. Like you have to want the Midwestern accent just as a constant joke. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But my God, like I didn't know based on the promotional materials that we'd be getting an Austin Powers type villain played by uh, Kristen Wiig. Not at all. Um, that she would be deadpanning throughout as this insane character with this insane origin story. With blonde eyelashes, that's the most notable thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, she's frightening. Yes. I think I just saw commercials for Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, and I saw, like, singing at a hotel, and I was like, what is this nonsense? But truly from the opening, which opens with one of my favorite songs, um, mm-hmm. Guilty by oh. Barbara Star. Dreisand and Barry Gibb. Uh, Great song. Great album. And then goes into like the Austin Power shit that I did not see coming. I was like, oh, I was completely on board with the film like less than two minutes in. Yeah. It's just, it's silly in a way that a female-led film rarely is. It also, because she wrote it with Annie Mumolo, who's her co-star there, Barb and Star, Mm -hmm. you really feel like you're being let in on a friendship. Mm -hmm. Like you're, Mm -hmm. like, these are two people writing what they think is funny, amusing each other. And a part of me wanted to scream as I was watching it, no boys allowed. Like it's just for us (laughs) girls here, you know. Except... Jamie Dornan is so good in this movie. He's good. And I, think, I don't know about I, so good. I okay. think he. I think he is, Lewis. I know that you are wanting to um, call a man good at anything. All right, fine. <laughs> well, I would call it standards. Moving right along. But um, I think that he was also one of the perfect actors for it. You could have gone with like an actor that we'd know for comedy. But I thought mm. what was so good about it is that we spent years watching him be. Um, bad in the 50 shades movies because no one could be good in them um <laughs> truly i like him and dakota johnson and they both were just awful in those three movies um i agree with that i agree with that because he was so good in the fall yeah. yeah um and just seeing him like do physical comedy seeing his facial expressions like seeing him have like a good time and with his beard back so he was hot again is such a joy also 
quick shout out to the little boy who plays Yo-Yo. His name is Rain Joy, <laughs> who I know initially from singing a song on James on, on Jim Carrey's show on Showtime called Kidding. And I recognize him immediately from that. And he's so precious and so good. And I just want the most fruitful career for him. He's so hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really assured comic performance for someone mm-hmm. that fucking young. Really impressive. Yeah. Like 10. There's a bunch of people in this movie who also get like a couple lines a piece just to like be wild or mean or whatever they are. Wendy McClendon Covey just seems like a wonderful person. Shows up for a couple lines, nails them. You got your Vanessa Bayers in there. There's a cameo at the end that I think is expertly done. So it's it's just Iconic so nice to get a mo- cameo yes. at the end. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna rewatch Bridesmaids because of course the you know Annie and Kristen wrote this movie and that movie together. And I read recently that they wanted Bridesmaids to be even more absurd in the same fashion that you know Barbins. This ridiculous title for a movie. Barbara Star yeah. go to Mr. Del Mar was. And I love the absurdist comedy, especially from women, which I feel like is so entirely lacking. So refreshing to see this. It was slapstick and funny and just goofy for the sake of being goofy. Must watch. We don't really have the lady equivalent of whatever, sausage party or pineapple yeah, express or whatever, you know. I want Kristen Wiig to Judd Apatow for the next 10 years and just make mm-hmm. the goofiest movies that, you know, I mean, Tina Fey started, but Judd just was pounding them out. Right. Yeah. I appreciate it even more because when Kristen Wiig recently hosted SNL, like I, I felt like a lot of it was like slipping back into the shtick that we know her for, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and like playing a lot of those characters the same. And I thought that the characters, the, the two characters that she played in this film, are like so lived in. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, uh, they loved they being them. Oh, but oh, yeah. you know when I knew I was in safe hands when I learned their workplace, which this is the one thing I will give away that they work at Jennifer Convertibles is so. <laughs> Like, I'm crying already. Of course, in Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Soft rock Nebraska. The Jennifer's Convertibles joke, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it is one of the funniest jokes in that Mm -hmm. film and one of the Mm -hmm. funniest jokes I've ever heard. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Also, I just, one last thing about Kristen Wiig. I'm going to get off this podcast and go immediately watch her chandelier performance where she dresses like Sia and is just like an amazing dancer. And She's and then you don't have to watch Thea's movie, which is apparently among the lowest rated films of all time. I was supposed to be in that film. Oh, uh, well, well, they didn't want it to be any lower. You were a Sia understudy. You were the stand-in. They gave you the little yeah. wig. The bob. Yeah. They, wa- <laughs> they wanted me to play Maddie's part, but they did not like my audition. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wrap this up by saying Kristen Wiig has now given us two amazing movies about female friendship, and that is two more than we get from most people. So I'm really thrilled yeah. for her and happy she's around. Yeah. I mean, not, not, not to heart back on Valentine's Day, but, you know, there were a lot of posts from people about, like, friendship is important, too. And mostly it was from a lot of my sad single friends. Uh, but <laughs> okay. Well, I might I have do... made a post like that, so I appreciate it. <laughs> but I do think it is important, you know? And I think that my friends are the most important people in my life, you know? And my best friend is the um, definitely the most important person in my life. And um, I want more movies about that, mm-hmm. you know? More movies were like more romantic comedies about friendships where you get your friend in the end. Mm-hmm. And it's stronger and you went through something and, you know, all that. A lot of fun. Yeah. All right. When we're back, a lot of white men. More nonsense. A lot of white men up to no good this week. <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? 
<laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. <laughs> It has been quite a week for white men. They are running it up. Doing the absolute most. First, to get it out of the way, Donald Trump was impeached for the second time, and he did not get convicted. Mm. Are we shocked? No. I'm hoping he gets a third impeachment, comes like the Ingrid Bergman or Meryl Streep. Like, wow, (laughs) three-time impeachment winner, Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Not shocked at all. At this point, it's hard to even be invested in watching the impeachment trials because, you know. And I did not. I've done that. Yeah, I didn't know. (laughs) Because this was sort of like a foregone conclusion, even more so than the original one, right? You know, because I feel like it it gets so exhausting um, to watch quote-unquote political theater play out on television and in the news and the media because so much of it always seems like a foregone conclusion. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Like, people telegraph exactly what they're going to do. It's the same reason why you don't want to, like, sit there and watch um, the verdict come in for police officers who've, like, shot and killed black people, right? Like, you know, we know what's going to happen. Yeah. We know the jig. It's been up. Um, (laughs) Up and it's stuck. (laughs) If it's up, then it's up, then it's up, then it's stuck. Um... The thing that actually did shock me was a lot of the anger that people had at the Democrats this weekend. And then I was like, fine, let me go look at this. And then I can see why people would be mad that the Democrats did not agree to call witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, there is the idea that dragging this out um, when we already know the conclusion and we already, you know, just want to get to COVID relief is not a good idea. I mean, I'm not saying that like I'm going full neoliberal and defending the Democrats because I think that they make a lot of stupid decisions. But I do think that the impeachment of Donald Trump is the last thing on Americans' minds right now. The majority of them. Mm -hmm. People who can't pay their rent, people who can't eat right now, um, people who are going through medical struggles like and need fucking checks from the government, do not give a fuck if this bitch can run for office again. Well, if it had actually happened, I imagined it would feel good even for those people. But I mean, I'll say this about the whole trial. If you spend even a second watching Mitch McConnell tease the idea of doing the right thing, 
just sit there and start applying the clown makeup to yourself. What are you doing with your life? Get along. Come on. Go read a book. Go walk outside. Then his vote to acquit, and then after giving this, like, Real Housewives reunion monologue. Yeah, inherit the wind over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, are are you done? I really am saddened that um, even with the majority in the Senate, we still have to hear from Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Right. Now I know how conservatives felt whenever Nancy Pelosi got on a mic. Just stomping on the head, <laughs> <laughs> continuing to speak. You know, I was surprised, though, by the, like, there was seven Republicans that voted to convict Trump, and that's seven more than I would have expected. Ben Sass was on that list, like a notorious Nebraskan piece of shit. So it was, it was <laughs> okay. But uh, still, uninterested, generally uninterested. Yeah, and Mitt Romney, you know, Oh, my God. Our hero. <laughs> the moral compass of exactly nobody. Why Why on earth are we... Exp- do we, Anyway. <laughs> Our Mormon queen. The only thing I want from Mitt Romney is for him and his wife to join the cast of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. <laughs> right. I want, I want the dirt. I, would, I think I would enjoy that. <laughs> I want to see what's in that tabernacle. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we got to move on to other white men. A lot of other people have been blowing it up. Yeah, so the number one enemy of Keep It. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know that there are many enemies of this podcast, but the number one enemy, Justin Timberlake. What? (laughs) Does that track? I think it does. It is longstanding. Okay. Because he had the Super Bowl performance. He had the Man of the Woods thing, you know. Okay. These are pre-Aida, but carry on. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me all the hate. Can't stop the feeling counts as a threat to me. <laughs> <laughs> the the impending release of a Trolls 3 soundtrack I, feels like true. terror, like we're in an Ari Aster film. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Justin Timberlake, this weekend, finally, quote, unquote, apologized. I put in quotes apologized because this is far from any apology that any sane person would accept um he apologized to janet jackson and britney spears finally Mm -hmm. Mm. um this is of course on the heels of the new york times documentary that we talked about last week with all the clips of sort of how like justin was very misogynist towards britney in the relationship you know laid a lot of the blame on her for their breakup and like would make jokes about like fucking her um on radio shows um it's basically a piece of shit to britney spears publicly in the media and had nothing to say while she was um being vilified he put on instagram the statement that uh we know was written by his publicist um yeah it does sound like that i have to say yeah i've seen the messages tags comments and concerns and I want to respond. I am deeply sorry for the times in my life where my actions contributed to the problem, where I spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right. I understand I felt short in these moments and in many others benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism. I specifically want to apologize to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson, both individually, because I care for and respect these women, and I know I failed. I don't think you care for or respect either of these women. (laughs) And my point about this apology is that 
it implies that he's only just now seen the messages and the tags and the comments, right? People have been writing articles, myself included, about how this man owes Janet Jackson some goddamn respect for years. It's basically a meme on Twitter. Every Super Bowl, I'm reacquainted with this um, idea from, you know, revolting fans, etc. She went on Oprah talking about how she felt disrespected and betrayed by a friend. We all remember that time where... um, he was like comparing being black and white and someone quote tweeted it with you need to apologize to janet and then he responded with oh you sweet soul <laughs> you know Tough. also i'm going to just like start a store and make a white man apology stationery because if i have to fucking see iphone notes one more time <laughs> i'm going to hurt someone <laughs> This is juvenile font. It's like Comic Sans for some reason. And you want to just have an earnest apology? Fuck you, Justin Timberlake. It's so, it's so stupid. I also think like the reason it was, all, one of the reasons it was delayed all these years, this apology, is he knows how bad it looks it being so late. Like it just, mm-hmm. it, it feels ridiculous to be like, oh, you know what? 18 years later, I am coming around to the idea that that career ruining spectacle for the other person on stage with me was, you know, Shitty. Mm-hmm. I believe you. I believe you, Lewis. But speaking of 18, in 2018, when he did go ahead and go do the Super Bowl without Janet or like even comment on the fact that Janet wasn't present, that would have been the perfect time. That yeah, would have yeah, been absolutely. ideal time. So I don't even know if I buy that. If I buy that he gave a shit or continues to get even if he gives a shit now, like not also not to mention he has a song with Michael Jackson. <laughs> That on, right. on Love Never Felt So Good is out and doing numbers. And like that yeah. also would have been a wonderful time to talk about it. Destroyed his sister's life, but you got to take this dead man's vocals um, and <laughs> remix them in the lab for a single. Come on. He has had ample opportunity to make a statement. And I really just think it's because there were no consequences before. And now I don't know what he thinks that Palmer is um, going to get nominations or something. Mm, right. <laughs> Was he finally worried about his check uh, and his money because um, the New York Times did a documentary about Britney Spears? Right, yeah. Mm. Speaking of that, I keep seeing memes online of people like tagging this their city free Palestine and free Britney. <laughs> <laughs> Just... You don't think they're the same? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the things, they're, they're like, yeah, tantamount. <laughs> the uh. same. The Justin thing goes to the heart of why I think a lot of the quote-unquote cancel culture conversation is so asinine on the internet because he put his apology on Instagram. And if you go and look at that page, the amount of people who are commending this man for finally speaking the truth or writing, this is the best apology I've ever seen from anyone and thank you for being a man and owning up to this. Shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Like, it is is so... You so want to like him. It's childish. awkward for fans who like defend him mm-hmm. anyway yeah. to give the great response to him, which is like, well, I guess you finally did it. Yeah. You know, as opposed to we're proud of you. Celebrities, yeah. I was shocked that Brandy Carlisle was thanking this man for his apology. What? This is part of the story of who she is? I'm angry. Yes, em- <laughs> embarrassing. Um, but other fans doing it too, other celebrities, and like the the wildest fan response is when you see someone go, um, 
thank you for finally addressing this. Like, I've been a fan and knew that, like, you had this in you. I'm like, if you're, yeah. if you're really that much of a fan, you didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> you were just tired of having to defend him to black people on the internet and Britney fans. Mm-hmm. What's awkward about being a fan often is if you're obsessed enough, that person's identity is wrapped up in yours, like they're in your Twitter bio or whatever. And that mm-hmm. means you are endorsing everything about them. So I'm sure it's just awkward for these fans in general, and they're glossing over that. I am a non-endorsed Barb, okay? <laughs> right. Same. <laughs> I, I like the music. I like the beats. I like the memes. I separate the art from the artist is what I'm trying to yes, say. Yes, <laughs> I certainly do. I have okay? to quietly. I, I'm in the corner. I certainly do listen to my Doja Cat songs produced by Dr. Luke and keep it moving. <laughs> We're bad. <laughs> um, fan culture to me is the people who spit... 48 hours and still counting responding to my comment on Justin Timberlake's Instagram post not responding to me but fighting with each other about his apology oh gosh there are like over 300 comments of people just arguing with each other in the comment section of Justin Timberlake's post and I truly am fascinated by people who are that bored imagine engaging in a forum like what are you a founding father shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) convention for it's not even a forum it's an instagram comment (laughs) section the lesson of the internet is that someone somewhere has the time (laughs) speaking of people who had the time because they're free now charisma carpenter had the time oh this week charisma carpenter came out in support of ray fisher who um played Cyborg in the Justice League film, which um, Joss Whedon did reshoots on after Mm -hmm. Zack Snyder left the film. Ray Fisher has accused Whedon of gross, abusive behavior on the set of Justice League. And there's been an investigation by Warner Media. Um, There's been interviews with other actors and um, people have sort of like voiced their support for Ray Fisher or not voiced their support, etc. Well, Charisma Carpenter as who we all know as Cordelia Chase from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, my queen, came out this week and stood in support of Ray Fisher by announcing that Joss Whedon was abusive on the set of Angel and created a toxic work environment. What followed was a lot of Buffy and Angel stars and writers uh, coming out and saying, yeah, Fuck Joss Whedon. <laughs> he ain't shit. It's nice to formalize that, I guess. We've yeah. had this like slow drip of Joss Whedon news stories over the years. And I guess I had never really thought about it, but we didn't get the opinion of someone like Charisma Carpenter. And mm. what can I say? It's just, it's horrible because he's just so associated with, in particular, Buffy, who I'll, I'll, I'll speak for just some queer people I know, is like the character of all characters. Like the number yeah. one, mm-hmm. the person you were most obsessed with who got you through adolescence like what daria was to me i guess is buffy was to these other people to me and it's just you yeah, know and you it's yeah. my favorite television show um ever i rewatch it constantly buffy meant so much to me growing up and it's so sad to see that like this man who was so much associated with like the feminism of buffy right you right. know mm-hmm. was a piece of shit and if you follow charisma carpenter's career uh you sort of know that she has insinuated that like joss whedon was awful before um we did know at least that during angel she got pregnant uh and was written out of the show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so she has alluded to a lot of these things before but this was the first time that she ever truly voiced specifically what he did to her 
it was so great you know, to see her, you know, like finally speaking up for herself. And it was great to see a lot of the other castmates um, sort of defending her and saying that they agree with her. You know, Michelle Trachtenberg, uh, Amber Benson, Emma Caulfield, Sarah Michelle Gellar, my queen, unfortunately wrote a very tacky Comic Sans notes app that was a Taylor mm-hmm. Swift. I would like to be removed from this narrative, uh, <laughs> and I don't want to be associated with Joss Whedon's name for the rest of my life without really addressing anything. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, I was I was happy with a lot of the responses, and we had sort of had inklings of this, you know, because like his ex wife had come out um, with her statement before about how he was sort of awful to her, um, but there'd really been no sort of like accountability for Joss um, and his behavior of like people saying that like he enjoyed making writers cry in the room. You know, um, there was that story about like James Marsters uh, who played Spike on Buffy about how like he was the second vampire that Buffy was in love with on the show. And um, he didn't like that James was like becoming popular and like Joss like confronted him once uh, and like pushed him up against a wall and was like, Hey, Hey buddy, like mad at him for being so popular. And like James a beat like, you're the... and it's like, you're the one writing the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <he's done laughs> if the you job. don't like me, kill my character. You know, it's so insane. Uh, and I think, that we should have canceled this man after Avengers Age of Ultron, mm. which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But um, I think we could have gone as far back as that weird much ado about nothing he did. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is, it's just sad, you know, to see it. But I'm glad that um, people are talking about this now. And you know what? It doesn't really change how much Buffy changed my life because, you know, so many people were involved in creating this show who is not this man, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that Buffy fans for a while have, have, have come to this reckoning of um, taking ownership of the show themselves um, rather than um, having all of their fandom and um, nostalgic memories wrapped up in him. It's a bit J.K. Rowling, in a sense, you know, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. H.P. Lovecraftian, you know, where, like, these sort of awful people created... Um, fantasy worlds that took on lives of their own so um buffy is ours not his yeah anymore. i was gonna say in the imdb of my mind for example like my favorite woody allen movie is another woman and i consider that co-directed by jenna rollins mia farrow sandy dennis and betty buckley so um <laughs> just change the narrative in your own mind and no one has to know yeah i do want to lastly point out how savvy charisma carpenter is because David Boreanaz took days to respond and um, he, you know, like he responded to her tweet finally and was like, I support you so much, et cetera. And she responded with, thank you so much, David. Uh, and I also want to thank you for the support that you've expressed in private since Wednesday. Mm. Letting people know that he was supporting her privately, just in case he tried to downplay that. Yeah, right. Clever yeah. girl. <laughs> My favorite phrase in a movie, clever girl. <laughs> Also, she is truly a fucking fantastic comedic actress, was like amazing in Veronica Mars, and I hope that this results in Chris Carpenter um, landing a role in something. Put her in The Mandalorian. Maybe then I'd watch it. My second favorite Carpenter after Karen. Jesus is down to three. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Jesus Carpenter. Where's Harrison Ford? (laughs) Oh, Oh, now we have literal Carpenters. That is tough. All right, well, he's in the four or five range. Haven't really loved him since Witness. (laughs) I love that you said literal carpenters as if Jesus' name was Jesus Carpenter. <laughs> I know, that's why I was... <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> That'd be cute. That's what it is, right? Uh, I think there's more white men who are in the hot seat this week. Lewis, you and I are somewhat bachelor nation. O- occasionally. I drop in and out. Yeah. M- me by choice. You because of work. Yes, right. It's on before <laughs> Kimmel. So occasionally we write bits about The Bachelor. Yeah. Mm. Also, I would like to interject and say I am by force Bachelor Nation as well because I like to have something to talk to my aunts about. So, oh, okay. I have, yeah, I'm on board, especially with this new with Matt James, and you know they they brought a they done brought a nigga on the show. You have to watch it. I know he does look like Skeeter from Doug, though, as the internet will tell you. <laughs> uh, he looks Cute. much hotter now in quarantine because he's grown out a full beard, and I'm like, where was this sexy man? <laughs> during The Bachelor. <laughs> and now, by the way, you've brought up the debate that I always have, which is, is Skeeter on Doug supposed to be black? I think he is. Okay, yeah. Though, again, Doug is literally Caucasian looking. So it's strange that there isn't like a one-to-one parallel there. Yeah. Do you think Roger's black? No way. I mean, like, I just think a black greaser would be a, a pretty bold move. I, I just, I, I would be surprised to see it. Well, the Fonz was black, historically. And by black, you mean Jewish. Yeah. Uh, he was a, he's a white man of color. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I always forget that Henry Winkler is Jewish. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just because the Fonz is such a anglicized character, and also that he achieved so much in that role, even though he was so dyslexic. Listening to him <laughs> talking about re- reading scripts is I, I wow. think he could barely read until his late twenties or something like that. Mm. Yale yeah, drama. Sounds like me. Yeah. Where's <laughs> <laughs> I is still waiting to read. Yeah. Where's that biopic? Dustin Lance Black, we need you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, getting back to The Bachelor. Chris Harrison this week decided to step up out his frame and defend a current front runner on this season of The Bachelor, Rachel Kurt Connell. Um, we just saw her like having an amazing week with Matt on the show mm-hmm. uh, on Monday's episode. And then it came out that she is kind of racist. So she was attending parties in 2018 um, that were antebellum themed, right? Uh, and Chris Harrison, while talking to Rachel Lindsay, um, the first black bachelorette, um, decided that it would be cool to defend this girl. Uh, he said, well, Rachel, is it a good look in 2018 or is it not a good look in 2021? Because there's a big difference. Basically being like, it was okay. Bewildering. It was okay for this girl who is also named Rachel. So this is very confusing. Uh, white Rachel. <laughs> it was good for, it was okay for white Rachel to do this antebellum theme shit in 2018. Because 2018 isn't the same time as 2021. What? That's what he thinks the point of, I guess, last summer was. Like, no, oh, actually, antebellum theme parties mm-hmm. were a little out of line. Yeah, well, we, we were anti-BLM. So, you know, like, nobody knew any better, you know? Like, that's, Whoa. Yeah. Like, she, you're like the Riddler. <laughs> but three years ago was not that long ago. And you know what the unfortunate thing is? You know, these photos of these plantation parties or these sorority get-togethers, I'm not unfamiliar with. This is still occurring in colleges all across the South and Midwest. And it's an eerie thing to observe. And they're proud of it and they enjoy it and they really do engage in the culture. And it's not going anywhere for a while, regardless of the year. Yeah, I mean, 
the weirdest antebellum thing that I've ever been at was when I was a guest at Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds' wedding. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say the most famous example. <laughs> I will say, um, Chris Harrison always been a little problematic to me since I was a contestant on the version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that he hosted. Mm-hmm. And I got a question right about the Coen brothers. And I think specifically the Big Lebowski was a part of the question. And then he said, well, you're the dude now. You're correct. Ain't nobody calling me a dude. You said, <laughs> never. You said don't, don't gender me. No, <laughs> right. you're the you're the man now, dog, not the dude. Right, finding Forrest. <laughs> that and then you pissed on the carpet right in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is so funny watching someone whose entire brand has been, you know, sort of like I'm appealing to Hosting? every part of Middle America, right? Yes. And being a host. Uh, and then deciding that, oh, in order to appeal to like the white fans who like like this girl because she's the front runner on The Bachelor this season, I need to say that it's okay that she was, you know, um skipping around cotton gins. <laughs> also, I, I mean uh, by the way, we have yet to discover what stepping away from the bachelor means. Mm, I mean Yes, because after he said this to Rachel Lindsay, he then apologized and said that he was going to take some time and step away from the Bachelor franchise for a bit. I think he just needs to go in general uh, because he's he's been doing the show for too long and a lot of other Bachelor contestants um, have come out and said that um, they think Chris Harrison sucks. Yeah, I want. I mean, before this, I wanted more for his career. Like, girl, you are bogged down. Go do something else. I just, I, I wonder what this after the final rose ceremony is going to look like now if he's not hosting it. But I will. ABC, I'm available. Like, if you are interested, <laughs> need someone to just stir up chaos with these bitches. I'm ready. You know, he wrote a romance novel. Wait, the the Bachelor or Chris Harrison? Chris Harrison did. He wrote a he wrote a what? romance novel a few years ago. All right, I'm going to check that out. By the way, I do think this Bachelor is pretty good, though. I find him to be kind of a normal-seeming person and, like, not vacant in the way that a lot of them are. I think he's a little boring, but... You enjoy Matt? Yeah. (laughs) He's a sweet guy. I think this whole... The whole season was kind of fucked from the start because he came in like, I don't want people to hate me if I choose a white woman. (laughs) Like, Matt... Yeah, he came in hot. And then he decided to pick chris harrison to have this conversation with it was awkward he's like yo chris can i have a convo with you yo my brother i have a problem <laughs> black women gonna be mad if i pick a white chick the whole country gonna be mad you know we're just riding during the summer i really gotta i gotta hammer down and find the right one uh <sighs> it's it's not a good look it's also not a good look for the bachelor franchise to basically like trot out rachel Lindsay every time they need to talk about race oh yeah well she's their house black well yes. they're going to they should start a group. All like four or five of these white men should just do like an instinct, Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees type. They just do an apology tour, literally, and start performing all their songs. You'd think there'd be a TV show by this point called Apology Tour that was like Veep, except following around somebody who just has to constantly apologize for something. <laughs> who hosts it? Alec Baldwin? Mm-hmm. Ooh, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Harrison. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He is a veil. And then he could interview himself, right? For his own apology. Yeah. Deep. Bring a final rose to the table. I'm loving this. Anyway, (laughs) maybe he'll just do what happens to all people who get canceled. He'll start a podcast. Their streaming numbers go up. (laughs) (laughs) They find wild success. Right. Yeah. Keep on doing what he is doing. (laughs) Yeah. All right. When we're back, keep it. (laughs) 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. What are we keeping this week, y'all? Um, I'll start since I think mine's probably the dumbest. I will, <laughs> I will venture to say it is the dumbest. Movie announcement. Lil Yachty developing action heist movie based on the card game Uno. All right. Uh, I understand the idea of intellectual property. And in fact, you get cool things out of it sometimes. You know, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie or the Lego movie, etc. You're telling me you're developing a movie based on the words skip, reverse, and draw four. That's all it took? I mean, Yahtzee is more emotionally complex. Uh, I would prefer a Lil Yahtzee, in fact. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what we're going to get out of this. I don't think Uno is even a fun game, really. I would prefer real cards. I'm an adult. I play real cards. How about we get some Pinochle going, some Bridge, Red yellow blue and green might be components of the movie i just don't know why they needed this at all you know uh obviously the movie clue one of my favorites arguably the piece of media i have watched the most times truly i believe i have seen the movie clue more than i have seen like a picture of mickey mouse um can be fun lots of opportunities for actors uh you obviously have the movie battleship which we still refer to rihanna's fans as the rihanna navy which i believe is cruel but it's based on that. I love being part of the Navy. <laughs> you got the movie Tag, uh, which some people enjoy. There's a Tag movie? Yeah, with uh, Jeremy Renner and John Hamm. Oh, well, I guess that wasn't really about Tag. Wasn't that about their like real-life game that they play as friends? Well, it's based off real-life friends, but it's not actually their... Th- it's not like Jeremy Renner and John Hamm are still running around like touching each other's butts or whatever. That's fair. Jeremy Renner doesn't have friends. <laughs> right, you've solved it. Um, anyway, Lil Yachty, I am pessimistic here. I believe I understand the game Uno fully, and I don't know what you're going to do with the idea of a wild card in regards to heisting. I think Lil Yachty just liked that the cards had multiple colors, and he was like, this is a movie topic. <laughs> this is colorful. Yeah, no guess at all. No idea what it could be. I, too, have no faith. If that helps. Thank you so much. <laughs> I too, yeah. I'm just, mm-hmm, don't know what this could be about. And also I saw the last two movies he did with DC Young Fly, the How High films, which was, we just have to stop with the stoner comedies. I don't think, I think we've evolved past them or only women should be allowed to do them maybe at this point. Women and gays mm. is all I'm mm-hmm. saying. I would love a gay stoner comedy. That'd be fun. We sh- we, do we have that? All of my gay friends besides me famously are stoned. So Are you famously unstoned, Lewis? I, I don't understand marijuana. It doesn't mm, do anything for me. Mm. Mm. You, don't wanna, you don't want to see Lewis high, Aida. No. Well, does, does his brain come down to like normal human functioning? When that <laughs> <laughs> like, he stops being alien? You may have noticed I like being alert. Aida, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what's your keep it? My keep it this week has multiple parts, but it's all surrounding Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a film that, of course, came out recently that I finally got around to watching. It's on HBO Max. First of all, 
What an emotional film. Oh, I love that you finally got around to watching a movie that just came out. Well, I it. still feel like I was behind the zeitgeist. Like, this is even happened with Malcolm and Marie where everyone was talking about it. And I was like, this has been out for 10 minutes. Can you guys shut the fuck up? But then I had to watch it. You know, everything feels, everything goes by so quickly now, Ira. So, first of all, the first thing that I hated about this movie was the conversation that Daniel Kaluuya shouldn't be playing Fred Hampton because he's not American. As if the global, the global movement that was the Black Panther Party wasn't also happening all over the world, you know? And this is, mm-hmm. this is, watch Small Acts, guys. Just watch Small Acts and get back to me. I don't, and I don't trust any of these American niggas to play Fred Hampton as well as Daniel Kaluuya did. Michael B. Jordan is just gonna be powerful in a real way. I don't believe it. Oh, they gonna come for you, girl. And let them, let them. They really, they ate me up because of Morgan Wallen last week. I think that this will be fine. Also, I, I just want to say I saw an interview uh, with Robin Roberts uh, with Daniel Kaluuya where she tried to get information out of him regarding Black Panther, and he came back with, you're going to have to use more butter than that. And I want to say two things. One, very funny. Two, he's so one of these people that this it's a very 2020, 2021 thing of – Everybody is secretly European or Australian now. Just everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, American actors are going by the wayside. <laughs> I love Daniel Kui. He's so carelessly charismatic and just aware of himself. And the posture he takes mm-hmm. on in this movie, the way he embodies Fred Hampton, is beautiful. Every aspect of his performance was beautiful to me. Overall, wonderful film. Made me cry a lot. But Lakeith playing classic roles just needs to stop, I think. Lakeith <laughs> playing roles where he has to, like, genuinely embody another per- I just, he's such a weird person. I need him to just be allowed to live in the weird world and not be kind of pigeonholed into playing somber characters. It just, it feels off. Um, he's such an alternative and surreal. Mm-hmm. Just his performance in Sorry to Bother You is what I'm always trying to to recapture. No. Yeah, weird people should just, just be, just be weird. themselves in a weird way. I do have to say, like if Crispin Glover were to play like Lyndon Johnson, that doesn't work. We don't want to see that. I'm frightened. And <laughs> the final part of the Keep It was everybody loved this movie and I still couldn't get behind it. It felt, it, it felt uncomfortable. I didn't really enjoy it fully. I watched it. I was so happy that it came out, but... It, mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I love Dominique Fishback in it. She is fantastic. More roles for her. Yeah, I need to watch Project Power now. Uh, I, I had avoided that um, Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levin joint, but um, <laughs> now I want to see her in it. And um, I will say, though, that the Black Panther movement was such a movement fueled by women that it was disappointing to see women basically unfeatured in the film yeah and they and when when they were featured yes they were put in kind of like you know gun wielding powerful positions which i love to see but in all reality it was a lot of the real tactical planning the mental like ability that it, re- it required every black movement is actually led by women that weren't allowed to be the face of it mm-hmm. and i i would have loved to have seen that come through in the movie mm-hmm. i have to see this movie this week i have meant to yeah it's interesting to tell fred hampton's story um and sort of juxtapose it with william o'neill um but i felt like if you're going to sort of open this movie with um william o'neill and then um just go to fred hampton's um death i don't really get the point of juxtaposing the stories you know mm-hmm. uh I, I there's nothing i dislike more in a biopic than when it ends and then um you have five minutes of title cards explaining what happened after yeah it's like mm-hmm. it's like give us a conclusion that feels boom and then keep it moving mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh and i felt that like a lot of the um they kept 
there were intercuts with um, an interview um, that he does in Eyes on the Prize 2, his last known interview um, before his death, um, which some people don't know if it was a suicide or if it was an accident. Um, and I just felt like um, that wasn't properly um, taken to its dramatic conclusion for me. I enjoyed watching the movie, but um, part of it felt like to me like it is a story that needed to be told in the sense that like, Yes, we should have more films uh, about black historical figures, and we definitely should have a Fred Hampton. We should have more Black Panther films. But the story itself didn't really seem to have a ultimate drive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the performances were amazing. Do you know what I think is the number one um, end credits biopic problem that you were describing? Do you remember the movie Loving, where basically it was an yes. hour and a half of seeming like they were going to get to the important thing, and then they just explained it in the end credits? It was so strange. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always weird, and it's always the problem I have with biopics because it's like I love a biopic that just picks a point in someone's life, right? Uh, as opposed to trying to tell someone's entire story, like get on up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it's that decision to leave out certain things because you want to tell a certain story. I mean, it's a hard game to do. I prefer, you know, picking a specific moment in someone's life. Um, because if a historical figure is important enough to warrant a biopic, I'm sure their entire life has many moments that could be cinematic, and you don't need to just see like from when they were a child to later. Uh, and I appreciate it that Judas and the Black Messiah didn't try to give us Fred Hampton's entire life, mm-hmm. um, but they really cut things off at the end a bit for me, yeah. I would just say. And what's your keep it, Ira? My keep it goes to this uh, new ABC sitcom that I'm actually kind of obsessed with, uh, Call Your Mother, starring Chris oh Sedgwick. Oh, my God. <laughs> my friend Rachel Sennett is in this. Uh, I adore her. Yeah, I adore her. Cool. We just followed each other on Instagram. Uh, cute she, um, this photographer that I know, um, Sela, uh, he... Um, took photos of me and took photos of her. Uh, and I think she's so funny. And also my friend Austin Crute is in the show. He was one of the leads in Daybreak, the first TV show that I wrote for. Um, mm-hmm. And I wrote his specific episode of that show. Um, and so it's been nice seeing him get like a network sitcom yeah, cool. um, so he can get them coins and get more well-known. But my keep it involving this show goes to Sherry Shepard's role on the show. Oh, what does she do? Now, Kira Sedgwick plays a mom um, who moves from the Midwest to L.A. to be closer to her two kids. And Sherry Shepard plays her best friend. And Sherry Shepard drops her off at the airport in the pilot, but ever since then only communicates with Kira Sedgwick via FaceTime. Wow. (laughs) Oh, how very COVID-friendly. Is that what's going on here? Yeah. Yes. Um, Like that and also very, you know, like Chrissy and Three's company. Like, coming to one set to film her scenes. Like, she does actually film it on a set, which I believe is in New York. But, you know, you only see her in scenes by herself um, or on FaceTime on the screen with Kira Cedric. And it's so weird. And she hasn't even been in the last two episodes. And I know that Sherry Shepard said that, like, they wanted her to be a part of the show. um, But she wasn't going to relocate for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's apparent. So this was the solution. Yeah. But... Wow, it's so weird. 
in a way, I guess I'm surprised I don't see that happen more often, only because clearly there's a lot of actors who would prefer to live in New York if things filmed in L.A. or vice versa. Mm-hmm. That said, it also is incredibly stilted. I would not be able to stop thinking about that. I would, I would not be locked into the story. I would be a step removed from it and thinking, oh, Sherry Shepard is filming some other bullshit. It's cute and amusing for a couple episodes, but she hasn't even been in the last two, and I feel like the show realizes that, you know, like, you can't really sustain that. You want to be on season four? Like, look, like oh, here's Sherry Shepard calling. <laughs> yeah, what, do we give her a new chair? Yeah. <laughs> that said, Sherry Shepard... Uh, funny and everything can't think of a movie she was or tv show she was bad in yeah great comedic actress she took a role like angie jordan and made it um not as messy and problematic as it could have been <laughs> i actually have to agree with that you're right i've not really thought about that <laughs> that could have gone all the way left because we know how tina fey reads black women <laughs> rarely by herself <laughs> <laughs> never is the answer <laughs> uh that's our show um thank you to um no one for joining us yeah it was just us we're gonna do this more often yeah we got to yeah. stay viperish yeah yeah i love having no rules and no one to answer to just mm-hmm. us queens yeah all right we'll see you next week keep it is a crooked media production the show is produced by caroline reston and brian semmel is our associate producer our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.